Genesis 27, 15 through 19, 22 through 38 and 41. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands in the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Last week, we began a, a new series on the life of Jacob, uh, one of the patriarchs of the Bible whose story we find in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the middle section there. And today we're continuing with another well-known foundational story, event, one that you might be familiar with, whether or not you're familiar with the Bible itself. Perhaps you have heard this story uh, a foundational one and one that's a joy and a challenge for us to read, understand, and abide by. What does it mean? Well, let's pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much already for the reading of the Word. Even just hearing your Word read aloud by Brother Michael is a blessing to know that your voice, your voice, 
can be heard in the midst of your people. So open our ears to hear from you now. Oh God, we need you. Give us life. Challenge us in those areas where we need challenge. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Uh, humble us where we are proud. Soften us where we are hardened. Lift up Jesus most of all and help us to bow down and worship him and love him more. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I got a, a new phone recently. A new phone, that's always exciting. Uh, this one, the new one, is one that actually has face recognition as a security feature. Now, I know that's old news for some of you. You're like, all right, catch up with the times now. But it's a new one for me. And so every time I, I use face recognition, this new feature to open the phone, I don't know, I feel like I'm something cool, right? Something like from a Bond movie, so new, so different. It's amazing. If you happen to see me looking at my phone, maybe even with big eyes, you know, I'm pretending that I, it's like a retinal scan, right? Or it's like it's doing something special and my voice is my password, right? Cool ways to actually hold up security and to open the phone. Everything these days is about security, isn't it? I mean, it seems like there's a thousand and one different ways, digital ways, for nefarious actors to break into our computers, into our devices, into our lives, steal your stuff, steal your identity. Well, guess what? Esau got hacked by his own brother, Jacob. His twin brother. This story narrates probably the earliest and most famous instance of identity theft. That's basically what happens here, right? Jacob takes his brother's ID, his birth certificate, his social security number, takes everything that rightly belongs to his big brother. Listen, here's... What happens in this story, just to summarize it for you, by this point in the story, Isaac, their dad, is advanced in age, well over 100 years old. And that means that his twin sons, Esau and Jacob, are probably in their 60s and 70s. Now, I know that wrecks a little bit of that kid's Bible story picture that you have in mind. These are older men that we are talking about. What does that tell us right from the start? This isn't a story about young men with youthful impulses. This is a story about old men and their set ways. Isaac is nearing death, so he feels it's time to offer his fatherly blessing to Esau, the older son. So he calls for Esau, asks him to go out and hunt. Get me some of my favorite game. Some of that meat I love, right? Cook it up for me the way I like it. And then he says he'll give him the blessing that he's owed. But see, already if you've been tracking with the story, I know we're only one weekend. Already things are a little bit fishy. See, this is the ancient equivalent to reciting a person's last will and testament. It's official. It's actually legal. That's why it's also irrevocable. You can't just rescind it easily. That's why they find themselves in a jam by the end of the story after the blessing is given. But this is a big moment 
but instead of the whole family being present as they normally should have, this is something that Isaac is arranging behind the scenes. It's communicated privately. See, he's about to give a little secret blessing. And the reason why he's doing it this way is because Isaac probably knows, as we learned last week, that Esau impulsively sold his firstborn's birthright to his brother Jacob. And besides, God had also revealed to Rebekah that the older son will serve the younger son. Jacob was the one that God had chosen to be blessed. Apparently, Isaac doesn't care. Esau is his favorite son, and that's who he's going to bless. Yes, he will. Rebecca overhears Isaac's instructions to Esau, and so what does she do? She pulls her husband aside, Isaac, and she said, look, honey, we, we need to talk. No, that's not what she does. What does the text tell us that Rachel does? She hatches up her own secret scheme to make sure that her favored son, Jacob, gets this blessing. Rachel says, look, Jacob, get some goats. I'll cook up a meal the way your dad likes it. And he's so old and weak, he can barely see. He won't know the difference between you and your brother. We're going to get you blessed. She's working out a plan. And Jacob replies, I don't know, Mom, that sounds a little dishonest. Maybe there's a better way. No! Jacob is like, I like where you're going with this, Mom. But we got to take it a step further. In fact, Jacob says, man, have you seen how hairy my brother is? Have you seen this? I mean, there's no way we're going to get away with this. I've got smooth skin. So when Dad touches me, immediately he's going to find us out so fast. Rachel says, don't worry, just do what I said. So she dresses Jacob in Esau's best clothes so that he would smell, sorry, yeah, he dresses, she dresses Jacob in Esau's best clothes so that Jacob would smell like Esau. Remember, Isaac is aging. He doesn't have all his senses working that well, but he can smell. And then she covers Jacob's hands and his neck with goat skins with all that fur and hair so that Jacob would feel like his brother. Then she cooks up that meal so that Jacob's cooking would taste like his brother's cooking. I mean, this was a multi-sensory, multimedia deception. And it worked. It worked. I mean, Isaac was a little bit suspicious at first. I don't know if you caught that. He was like, man, you, you smell like him. You feel like him, but you don't sound like him. Isaac was onto it just a little bit, but in the end, he was totally fooled. He gave Jacob his blessing, thinking that Jacob was Esau. Then Esau walks in, and he's like, hey, Dad, ta-da, here's the meal that you asked for. I'm ready for my blessing. And Isaac's like, what? Who are you? Who are you? And then Isaac is trembling violently 
because he realizes what just happened. Esau is understandably devastated. He bursts into tears. He's wailing aloud with a loud and bitter cry, and he's so angry, so bitter, that he resolves to kill his son the minute his dad passes away. So Jacob runs away. The end. Oh, what a story! From the family that has been called out of all families on earth to be the carrier of God's grace and promise to humanity. Isn't this wild? We talked about it last week. It just shines the light of God's grace upon all things. This is just mind-boggling that God would choose to use such a jacked-up people, people like you and me. Because this God is a God of grace. What is this story about? I mean, what's the point? And some people will look at this and say, look, what this is really about is the dangers of parents showing favoritism to their kids. Don't do it. Okay, there's some of that in there. Heads up, parents. Heads up, teachers, right? Some of that favoritism stuff really causes a lot of trouble. But is that it? What can we learn from the passage? Let's briefly consider three points. Aching for the firstborn's blessing. Aching for the firstborn's blessing. Taking the firstborn's blessing. And then finally, forsaking the firstborn's blessing first point, aching, aching for the firstborn's blessing. This entire story is all about who gets Isaac's blessing, right? But here's a question. Why do Jacob and Esau want it so badly? Uh, Maybe it's just that they wanted their dad's affection or his approval, but it's really much more than that. Because this wasn't just any old blessing. This is what Christian and Jewish readers of the Bible for generations have called the blessing of the firstborn. Did you notice how many times each time Esau and Jacob introduced themselves to their father, they made sure to identify themselves as what? your firstborn. Hey, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Hey, I'm Esau, your firstborn. The first one being fraudulent, the second one being true. Verse 9 and verse 32. Firstborn, what is that? In ancient cultures, firstborn sons were given special rights and responsibilities. They were made the heads of households. They were given a double share of the inheritance to be recognized as the firstborn was a big deal. And ceremonies of blessing like this was the time when a firstborn was formally, officially recognized as such. Notice the language that Isaac uses in the blessing that he pronounces here in verse 28 and 29. You might have heard it. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So we can even take a look at that and see and understand that the firstborn's blessing is the granting of at least these three things, prosperity, authority, and security. 
the prosperity and abundance of grain and wine. Here's your inheritance. It's yours. Authority. Isaac says, nations and even your brothers will bow down to you. You'll be Lord over them. You'll have authority over many peoples. And thirdly, security. Uh, this idea that God will identify himself with you so closely that anyone that hurts you, he's going to hurt. He will protect you. Anyone who blesses you, he will bless. But you are secure because God is on your side. Prosperity, authority, security. These are some of the elements of the blessings of the firstborn and understood in this way. We can understand then how this is not just something from Jacob and Esau's ancient times. It's something that all of us, even today, seek and crave. We all want this. We are all seeking some form of the blessing of the firstborn. Who doesn't want? prosperity of some kind. Things going well for you. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your relationships where you're seeking, longing for, maybe even praying for flourishing prosperity. Who isn't seeking some kind of authority? Maybe it's not literally people bowing down before you that you're after. Well, maybe for some of you. But generally, just that you might have some sense of honor in your relationships, in your standing in a community, in your household, in the world. Honor in the workplace, honor and respect amongst your peers. And who doesn't crave some kind of security, a sense of safety in a shaking and quaking world who isn't longing for some sort of protection, something that comes from God that gives you a little bit more of a firmer foothold in this troubling life? prosperity, authority, security, do you see longings for these things, the blessings of the firstborn in your own life? And I want to be clear, those aren't bad things. Those are things that in and of themselves are good that God desires for you to have. But notice also this, there's an ache deep in our hearts that we often have, something that makes us say, ah, not just that I want that blessing, but I need that blessing. I need it so bad. I mean, notice Jacob and Esau, they didn't just want it. They ached for it. I mean, Jacob wants it so bad, he will literally do anything for it, throwing his big brother under the bus and giving up literally his entire family to have it. Esau wants it so bad that when it's taken from him, he is a blubbering mess, maybe rightly so, and yet you can see the degree of the emotion that flows from him. He bursts out in a loud cry, and now he's even willing to kill for it. And sometimes so are we. Maybe not literally, but where you're almost willing to give up your whole life to get that blessing, authority, prosperity, security, or give up another person's life in order to have it, authority, prosperity, security. We don't just want the firstborn's blessing. We, we tell ourselves we need it. Where do you see this ache in your life? 
this ache for the firstborn's blessing. Where you are like Esau, crying out without maybe even saying so audibly, bless me too, bless me too, bless me too. Where do you see it? And as we pursue it then, how do we devise to get it? How do we get this blessing? Well, let me tell you, like Jacob, typically, we take it. We just take it. Second point. The taking of the firstborn blessing. Everyone in the family, of course, if you're paying attention to the story, almost everyone is at fault in this situation, not just Jacob. I mean, Isaac is basically ignoring God and his will. He's even defying God. I mean, he hesitates for a moment, as we said earlier. He said, I don't know, you smell like him, you, you, but I, you don't sound like your brother. But as one commentator pointed out, Isaac at that moment couldn't afford to stop and ask another person to come in and verify, because then that would have exposed his entire scheme. So he stays silent and plays along. Esau. He's in on the plot from the very beginning, even though he knows he sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. He even broke the oath that he took. We read about it last week. He promised, swore before God, that Jacob was now the possessor of this firstborn's blessing. But no, he's eager to hoard this blessing all for himself. It's mine. Rebecca. I mean, she might be partially right that Jacob is the rightful heir of this blessing, but she's now trying to expedite God's will with sin and scheming. Do you ever do that? You think you're right, and so you're like, God, let me help you out a little bit. Let me, let me do it a little bit quicker, a little bit more my way. She is so committed to this deception that she even says, almost like an oath in verse 13, don't worry, Jacob, let that curse fall upon me. If you're found out, your deception is found out, let the curse fall upon me. I'll take the hit for you. I mean, this family, again, is a mess. And again, it's an important reminder, an important reminder that God loves to work in and through broken, messy, dysfunctional families. I mean, some of us really need this help. Some of us really need this hope. You know, you might say, look, I just don't have one of those perfect stock photo families. You know what I'm talking about. You see them on the internet, whatever, these shiny, smiling families. They're like playing Scrabble, and they're like loving it. Everyone's happy, right? Or they're picnicking outside, right? Bright. Kids are great. Family's great. Husband and wife gazing into each other's eyes. You're like, that is not my family. Not my now, not the one I grew up in, and God is like, don't worry, I got you. God loves working through the mess. He loves redeeming through the, the brokenness. God is present, and if God is present in a family like Jacob's, he is present in a family like yours. But everyone in this family is at fault, but when we get to Jacob, what we find, though, is just deception and, and sin and, and terrible motives just on fire. I mean, consider what Jacob does to get this blessing. He lies. 
he deceives. Right? I mean, even notice, when his mom gives him the idea of this plan, he initially objects. But even that, it wasn't for moral reasons. It was because he was certain he was going to get caught. He's like, no, dad's going to find us out. Even the way in which he deceives his dad, it's not just even the outright lies. I am Esau, your son. But there's almost this like dirtiness to the way that he does this. The passage talks about Isaac in his old age needing to sit up, which means he's probably by this time bedridden. As we said, he's also going blind. I mean, here's a son completely taking advantage of his frail father. And then he even goes as far as to embrace his dad. I mean, it's one thing just to sort of turn your head and, and deceive him, but there's like physical intimacy being exchanged. Jacob says, let me touch you. And Jacob's like letting his dad touch him. His dad even invites him to come near enough to give him a kiss. Jacob kisses him. And I couldn't help in reading this this past week of thinking about Judas betraying the Savior with a kiss. It's fake intimacy. It's intimacy to advance your sinful purposes and motives. This is stolen intimacy, a complete robbery of trust. Jacob lies. He deceives. He may have a right to the blessing in a sense, but the way he goes about it makes it feel like a theft. And now here he is, putting on them furry arms. He's faking and pretending, literally dressing up in a costume in order to get the blessing. And now let me real quick mention and note the elephant in the room, and it's in this form of a question. Just how hairy is a man that the fur of a goat becomes a believable feeling when a person touches your arm. I mean, don't you want to know, like, how hairy is this guy? But listen, this is what Jacob straps on, almost putting on a deceptive costume, dressing up in order to get this firstborn's blessing. And in all these ways, one more time, he's just like you and me. The ways, if we're honest, that we can see, the ways we, we will lie in order to get that, that hit of authority or that sense of blessing. It, the ways that will deceive uh, professionally or maybe in your relationships. Uh, the ways in which you'll, you'll insist that you're one thing when you're not. The ways in which you'll fake and steal and pretend some of y'all are lip-syncing your way through life, afraid you're going to get caught. You'll do anything you can to get that blessing, prosperity, success, approval, relationships, good feelings, happiness as you define it, authority in your profession, security in this insecure world. I mean, in what ways are you uh, extending yourself to other people around you? Uh, saying, hey, hey, feel my furry arms. You're all dressed up. Feel my furry arms and, and give me the blessing of your approval. Uh, feel my furry arms and give me the blessing of your acceptance. 
the blessing of success, the blessing of honor, the blessing of security. Our hearts can start to believe our own lie, our own deception. We don't even know you got a costume on anymore. You don't even know who you are anymore. And worst of all, it becomes so much a part of you, you start to live before God doing the same old thing. It's not just other people that you're kissing and betraying. It's God himself that you're kissing and betraying. Giving him this, these token shows, displays of intimacy while your heart is actually far from him, trying to rip him off. The way in which you actually do some identity theft of God himself, pretending to be God. The way you strut around thinking you make the rules for your life. You get to define how life is best lived. Shunning God's word and living according to your own ways. And don't you know that the nature of sin is to consume? To use the words from Hamilton, the musical, it, it takes and it takes and it takes. So don't you see what we're describing here? What Jacob does, what our hearts do, do is simply the impulse of a heart of sin. Taking, taking in order to be blessed. It's important to notice the way in which this kind of sinful taking affects all those around. The family is basically torn apart and left in shredded pieces. Jacob leaves home. He's running. He's running. I mean, some of us are living our days running from something that you screwed up in your past. Rebecca does bear a curse of sorts. She will never see her beloved son again. You've hurt people around you. Some of us, like Esau, are actually living in bitterness, right? Because you feel like somebody took that firstborn's blessing from you. Verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Some of us, like him, are consumed by a desire for revenge. Verse 41, Esau says to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Likewise, so often we want to get even. We want to hit back because we think that's what's going to heal us. But St. Ambrose was right so many centuries ago when he said, no one heals himself by wounding another. Dr. King understood this, of course. As we consider his life and legacy tomorrow, it's a good time to remember the ways in which he rejected retaliation and revenge as a way forward in the healing of our nation and of the black community around him. He taught and lived nonviolence, therefore, refusing to seek revenge, but rather to respond to others, even those who have harmed you, with love. King put it this way, an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. Jesus himself said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. On the cross, he prayed even for those who were piercing nails into his hands. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The apostle, having embodied this very same ethic of the gospel, writes in Romans 12 or 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. So what do you do then if you feel like someone's 
taken what's yours? How do we then grow as, as we ache for firstborn blessing, as, as we take it, deceiving, lying, cheating, stealing, harming those around us? What can quiet the hunger, that voracious hunger of soul? What is it that can heal our broken hearts? We need to get to our final point, forsaking the firstborn blessing. We need to see and know the one who had the blessing of the firstborn, but who forsook it in order that he might share it with those who don't deserve it. This is Jesus, of course. Jesus was the one that the Bible calls again and again the firstborn. We studied last semester in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, refers to Christ himself as the firstborn of creation and the firstborn from among the dead. Will you see Jesus, the firstborn? Jesus who, instead of hoarding his blessings for himself, like Esau, instead of that, Jesus shared it. Everything that was due to him. He said, I'd like you to participate in that blessing too. He makes all of us the firstborn in the eyes of God along with him. Hebrews 12 verse 13 calls the whole church, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We are now co-heirs with Christ, according to Romans 8, 17, which means we all have rights to the double inheritance that was only originally due to Jesus, but now if you're in Jesus, you get it too. So that the apostle might sing as you're called to sing in Peter, that we have in Christ every spiritual blessing, every right of the firstborn, now given to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Does our Heavenly Father only have one blessing? Father, do you only have one blessing? Esau cries out, and the answer before God is no. He has blessed in Christ a multitude that cannot be counted, even you and me. Jesus, instead of lying and, and deceiving to take the blessing like Jacob did, he, he generously and sacrificially gives it. The promise of prosperity spiritually first. The promise of authority. You are seated at the right hand of God together with him. The promise of security. He is your refuge and your fortress and he'll never forsake you ever Jesus, like Rebecca, he even takes on the curse of our lying and cheating. Dying for us on the cross, which the Bible describes as a curse that we deserve for our sins. You see, Jesus is, as we look at this story, the better Esau. Giving, not hoarding. He's the better Jacob. Sharing, not taking. He's the better Rebecca, letting the curse of our sin fall upon him. 
And he tells us that you no longer need to lie and cheat your way into the blessing of the Father. You don't need to do that to receive God's love, his affection, his approval, his favor. And if you could almost picture it, it's like he, he brings you into the room. Right? That room in this story. He brings you into the room and he gently, maybe even with a tear of compassion in his eyes, he says, I, I know you're tired running around faking it all the time. It's hard to live like that. And he takes the goat skin and he gently peels it off your arms and your neck. He says, you don't got to do that no more. Not around me. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to dress yourself up. He takes the, the clothes, the robes of, of deception off your back. And then he puts on new garments on your naked self. And he says, here, let me, let me, let me robe you with something better. Let me put something over your arms and your neck and your back. Let me, let me put it on so, something. It, 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 it's me. Let me dress you in, in me. Because if you, if, you if you want all of God's blessings, if you want the blessing of the firstborn, all you got to do is come in me. And beloved, the New Testament tells us that by faith we are clothed in Christ. Galatians 3.27, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We are dressed in the garments of the older brother. He is what secures our rights to the blessing of the firstborn. So you don't need to fake God out anymore. You don't need to live a life of cheating and stealing. He gives it all to you freely by his grace, by his love. And you know what else? He prepares you a feast, just like you love it. And he gives you a kiss, his affection, his heart. And he will never reverse, rescind, or repeal the firstborn blessing that he has given to you. Hallelujah. All of this is yours in Christ. And when we grasp that in our hungry, aching hearts, when we start to take him in that way, when we experience the firstborn blessing and the firstborn Christ in this sort of way, it changes you, doesn't it? Because you never believed you could get blessed like that. You never believed that you could be loved like that. You could never believe that you could have the Father smile like that so unconditionally, so lovingly, so forgivingly, and yet now you have it. And what happens then is it makes you into one who wants to bless just like you've been blessed. Right? Because everything about this moment, everything in the words of Isaac that he bestows upon Jacob is an echo of God's promise to Jacob's grandfather, Isaac's father, from Genesis 12. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will make you a blessing upon the peoples of this world. I'll make a family out of you. God in his grace makes us a blessed people in order that we might be a blessing. So with filled hearts, we're no longer just seeking to take and to fill ourselves, but out of the overflow of God's infinite love, we become blessers to our neighbors. Where we, we move out of our greed and our taking, out of the fear that leads to hoarding, 
now we become what? More generous people, generous with your time, generous with your possessions, generous with your life, generous with your smiles, generous with your encouraging words of affirmation, not taking and taking and taking, but giving and giving and giving, just like Jesus, your older brother who has given everything to you. And it makes giving then a joy, the joy of the firstborn, the joy of those who have the smile of God always upon you, where you almost hear his voice echoing behind you every moment of the day. That is my son. This is my son. This is my daughter. I love them. My children, all my firstborns is all of them all over the place. Come into the blessing of your father. Come into the blessing of the firstborn Jesus. Let's pray. And so we come. And so we come. Receiving your welcome. Receiving your invitation. Receiving your outpouring of generosity and your love. Your provision. And your blessing. Jesus, who's a savior like you? Thank you for allowing us to participate in your inheritance. Thank you. We look to you, the better Esau, the better Rebecca, the better Jacob. Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.